This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit kyber.org to download or purchase this book. The Christian Philosophy of Education Explained, 2010, Stephen C. Perks, Kuiper Foundation, Taunton, England, narrated by Nathan F. Conkey. Chapter 7. Some Observations on the Role of the Church in the Provision of Education I stated in the introduction that it is vitally important that the Church should take a positive stance over the issue of education, that it should take a determined and sustained effort to reverse those trends within the Church which militates so much against the provision of Christian education, and that it should begin promoting and facilitating, to the best of its ability, a program of re-education in this vitally important area. This needs to be clarified now, and the proper role and place of the Church in the area of education examined. 1. State Education and the Church First of all, it cannot be emphasised too strongly that from the biblical point of view, education is not the responsibility of the state. Education, as I argued in chapter 3, is a family responsibility. The school is not a divinely ordained institution with a God-given mandate in the field of education. In the Bible, the family is the God-ordained institution with responsibility for the education of its members. Thus, the state, which in the Bible is a ministry of justice, exceeds its God-given authority when it takes upon itself the task of setting educational standards and making provision for education through state-run and state-funded schools. For the state to require compliance with such standards or to enforce attendance at state-run or regulated schools is tyranny. There is no welfare state in the Bible. Welfare is the responsibility of the family primarily and where the family is unable to provide it, it becomes the responsibility of the church. Education is an aspect of the family's welfare responsibility and thus only And thus, only when the family is no longer able to make suitable provision does it become the responsibility of the church. But never does it become the responsibility of the state. State control and funding of education by means of tax revenues is a hammer blow against the Christian faith, since, by controlling the provision of education according to its own standards and philosophy, the state usurps the parents God-given responsibilities, and by financing state education with taxes, it not only breaks the Eighth Commandment, but also vitiates the ability of parents to provide for their children's education outside of the state system. This situation is exacerbated for those who do not use the state system by the fact that the funding of state education by tax revenues has made state education free at the point of delivery and thereby effectively ruined the market for private education. Thus, only the wealthier members of society can afford to pay the fees charged by public schools. Were the state to withdraw from education altogether, not only would parents have more resources available for their children's education, assuming, of course, that the state reduces tax rates accordingly, but the market for private education would be healthier, more varied, and more efficient from the economic point of view. 
The provision of education would also be geared to the demands of customers with a realistic view of the product supplied, rather than the population being at the mercy of the latest whims and pet theories of state-supported academics and bureaucrats. The resulting situation would be more advantageous to all and from every point of view. Consumer choice and competition between suppliers would maximise quality and minimise costs, since education would be a commodity on sale in the market like any other economic good. The role of the Church in this matter should be to provide biblical teaching on the proper function of the state and the limits of its authority and the limits of its authority. Christians should be taught to observe these boundaries laid down in Scripture and steered away from state education. The Church should encourage the establishing of new Christian schools and colleges and the development of those already in existence. Our aim should be to create a situation in which education is free from all forms of state funding and control. In the interim, while state and private schools coexist, Christian schools should be encouraged to resist all state interference with their work and refuse all state support in the form of grants, etc. Christian schools and parents should not rely on state funding in any way. Number 2. The Role of the Church Under Normal Circumstances Neither is the Church the God-ordained institution responsible for the education of children in the first instance. Again, we must stress that education is the responsibility of the family, and therefore parents must either obtain services offered by private schools which will provide an education that is consistent with the teachings of the Christian faith, or provide for their children by means of homeschooling. The primary role of the Church is the ministry of the Word and Sacraments. As a general rule, the Church should not, under normal circumstances, finance or subsidise the education of children. Church Welfare and Evangelism There are, however, two exceptions to this general rule in which education may come under the proper role of the Church in the exercise of its ministry. Part of the Church's ministry is to help the poor and needy and heal the sick. Thus, the Church does have a welfare role to play in helping those in need. It needs to be stressed, however, that the role of the Church as a dispenser of welfare is related to the needy, the poor and destitute, and those who are unable to help themselves. The role of the Church in this area is charitable in nature. Education, as an aspect of welfare, may, on occasions, come under the Church's ministry in this area. There are three ways in which the Church may provide for this. First, Church-sponsored and Church-run schools may be established. This may be in the context of a wider ministry to the needy, such as homes for orphans, destitute single mothers, families genuinely living in poverty, etc. Thus, church schools and orphanages may work together in the context of the church's overall ministry. Second, the church could provide scholarships to independent Christian schools for the children of families in need. Third, interest-free loans could be made to families in need to enable them to provide for their children's education, either through fee-paying Christian schools or by means of homeschooling. For instance, where financial straits necessitate that both parents work, 
but where income is still insufficient to enable school fees to be paid, an interest-free loan could be made either to place the children in a Christian school or to enable one of the parents to stay at home and homeschool their children. The parents would decide which was the best course of action according to their circumstances and abilities. This kind of loan could have a maximum repayment limit of seven years, after which any outstanding debt should be cancelled. See Exodus 22.25, Leviticus 25.35-36, Deuteronomy 23.19-20, and and Deuteronomy 15.1-11. Where children are still part of a family, that is, where they are not orphaned, this third option is probably a better way to provide help than by simply providing free schooling or scholarships, since it gives the responsibility for the children's education to the parents, whose duty it is, rather than relieving them of their responsibility. The church then provides help, but by removing as little as possible of the responsibility for the children's education from the orbit of the parents' decisions and actions, it strengthens the family structure and parental authority rather than weakening it. The requirement of such loans would be that the schools chosen should operate on the basis of a Christian philosophy and practice of education, or where homeschooling is chosen, that choice of curriculum and materials used should be consistent with a Christian view of education. Church-run schools and direct scholarships would then be reserved for orphans. While this is the preferable way for the church to provide help to families in need, the actual course of action taken would be determined by the specific circumstances of individual family needs, and churches would have to determine for themselves which is the best way to proceed in the light of those circumstances. I am not arguing that this should be a hard and fast rule, but simply indicating what I think is the best option on the whole. I have arrived at this conclusion by making the primary consideration that of enabling the family to fulfil its God-given responsibilities itself as much as possible, rather than taking over those responsibilities for it. Christian charity should always aim at restoring the normal situation. 2. The Church also has a ministry of evangelism and missionary work, and the provision of education may also come under the Church's ministry in this area at times. In a missionary situation, the provision of education is a legitimate and necessary aspect of the Church's task of evangelism. These two exceptions to the normal situation relate to the believer and to the non-believer, respectively. The provision of welfare where the family is unable to provide for itself is a legitimate function of the church in its ministry to believers. The provision of the same to non-believers is also legitimate in the wider context of the church's ministry of evangelism. All provision of welfare from the church to non-believers should be tied to this evangelistic mission, since such charity is a means of living out the faith and practically bearing witness to man's salvation in Jesus Christ. The normal situation. Under normal conditions, however, the family should provide and pay for the education of its own members. Normal conditions here means where the family is not destitute or too poor to make provision for itself, and where the church is not engaged in missionary work. Thus, under normal conditions, Christian education should be provided either by means of homeschooling or by private, fee-paying Christian schools. In the latter case, however, education does not cease to be the responsibility of the family. 
nor is the duty of parents to be abdicated to the school. Private Christian schools simply provide a service which parents purchase as part of the exercise of their responsibility. The obligation to ensure that such services are in conformity with the Christian philosophy and practice of education still rests upon the parents, who bear the final responsibility for their children's education before God. 3. The Role of the Church Under Special Circumstances So far, I have been considering the situation that should exist under normal circumstances. The question now arises as to whether the existence of abnormal circumstances modifies this, and, if so, to what extent. In particular, does the situation we face in Britain today, and indeed generally in Western societies, constitute abnormal circumstances sufficient to bring the Church into the role of providing Christian education in any way other than set forth above? Before answering this question, I shall first consider briefly the situation we now face in this country. The present situation. In Britain, all taxpayers are forced to pay for the provision of state schooling through their taxes, whether they use the system or not. Notwithstanding the legal requirement of Christian assemblies and the 1988 Education Reform Act's stipulation that religious education in state schools should reflect mainly Christian religious traditions, The kind of education provided by the state system is not Christian by any stretch of the imagination. Indeed, the prevailing ethos is that of atheistic humanism. It is not possible, therefore, for Christian parents to fulfil their educational responsibilities according to biblical criteria by sending their children to state schools. Even though they have been forced to pay for the state system through their taxes, it is not possible for them to do so from the point of view of the Bible's teaching on politics and economics either. But I shall pass over this here since my primary concern is strictly with the educational aspect of the issue. Furthermore, as indicated above, the state system has significantly reduced the options available to parents seeking private education for their children by pricing most of its private competitors out of the market. The provision of state education which is free at the point of delivery, has meant that few private schools are able to exist that can offer a service which is priced low enough to entice most people to use it. Only the wealthier members of society can afford to educate their children in private and public schools without making a significant financial sacrifice which impinges upon family life in other areas. A significant proportion of both local and national tax revenues is used to finance state education, and there are no tax refunds for those who do not use the state system. There is a double sting in this situation for those Christians wishing to educate their children outside the state system. First, they have to pay double, in effect, for their children's education, and second, they are forced to subsidise the education of other people's children in terms of a philosophy of education with which they do not agree and a religious worldview, that is, secular humanism, which they do not believe, and with money that should be available to finance the education of their own children in accordance with their beliefs. This situation represents a fundamental injustice perpetrated by the very institution which, above all others, has the God-given responsibility to uphold justice and punish wrongdoing.
the state. Thus, by illegitimately venturing into the areas of welfare, the state has not only exceeded its authority, but vitiated its own proper function as a ministry of justice. The result is that Christians are forced to subsidise a pagan education system as well as fund Christian education for their own children. And this is in a situation where the prevalence of socialism has made society poorer generally, and therefore there is on the whole less disposable income available to Christian parents to provide for their children's education than would be the case under the organisation of society on the alternative Christian model. The questions we must now answer are these. First, does this constitute a special situation? Second, if it does, to what extent does it modify the normal role that the church should play? In particular, does the fact that the state is able to subsidise its education programme with tax revenues, that is, theft, justify the subsidising of Christian education by the church on a greater scale than that set forth above, under normal circumstances. To put this another way round, we could ask, does the current situation in which the state illegitimately plunders the resources needed by the family to provide for its own, in accordance with biblical principles, in effect place those families who would not normally be considered poor or in need into the category of the needy and thus put them within the orbit of the church's welfare ministry? Third, does the existence of state-funded education which has subsidised and promoted the repaganizing of our society on a vast scale and contributed to the decline of Christian culture and influence in society mean that the current state of affairs constitutes a missionary situation? A tentative answer. The solution to this problem is whether and to what extent the Church should be involved in the provision of Christian education under abnormal circumstances is not simple. And it perhaps, and it is perhaps wise to consider the answer we arrive at as to some extent tentative. Here again, it may be that no hard and fast rules can be laid down, and that, due to a variety of individual circumstances, the problem may be solved by different people and different churches in different ways. My own view is that the answer is yes to all these questions and to some extent, but not in all situations and for all people. The answer, it seems to me, will be determined very much by the individual circumstances of the families and churches involved. I find it difficult to give an unqualified yes, while at the same time it seems quite obvious that in many ways the present situation does constitute special circumstances. If we answer no to these questions, then Christian parents will simply have to struggle to provide a Christian education for their children by means of fee-paying private schools or homeschooling, and the church would only step in to help where there is poverty and hardship. If we answer yes, then there are far more options open to the Christian community. The financing of Christian education will be considered a legitimate use of the tithe funds by churches and individuals, and thus church-funded and church-run schools and independent schools supported by the tithe will become an alternative to the state system as well as private fee-paying schools and homeschooling. This is likely to result in far greater participation in Christian schooling than would otherwise be the case. And, 
not only for financial reasons, the feeling of safety in numbers is a real psychological factor for many who are not natural pioneers and who would therefore hesitate to launch out on their own in a homeschooling program, for instance. It should perhaps be observed here that, as well as church-run schools, private Christian schools which rely on donations to keep their work going have effectively answered this question positively, since such schools are financed not by the payment of fees or parental donations alone, which typically bring in less than half the funds needed, but by the use of tithe money, which is to be used for Christian ministry, and donations by those who consider the school a worthy charitable cause. If it is decided that the present circumstances do constitute a special situation for Christian parents, it is important that we see this as a temporary situation and work to change these circumstances as soon as possible. Church-run and church-financed schools should probably endeavour to become private schools operating independently of church funding and control as soon as they can. Missionary Opportunities In the light of the rapid deterioration of state education, both in terms of academic standards and discipline, the present situation does present the church with a valuable missionary ground and an opportunity to reach non-believers and their children through Christian and church schools. And the opportunity is likely to increase significantly in the foreseeable future. Churches and Christian charities should seriously consider the possibilities for mission through the provision of Christian education. The education of non-believers' children should not be subsidised by the tithe or church funds, however, unless there is genuine poverty, and then such provisions as are made by the church should be tied to an agreement that those receiving the help attend church with their children. This may be more difficult to implement where church schools are financed partly by fees and partly by subsidies from church funds. Where this is the case, places at schools should be offered to Christian parents first of all, and then where there are available places to non-believers who wish their children to attend. But again, there should be some stipulation that parents and children attend church. Where non-believing parents are prepared to pay full fees, this stipulation of church attendance may not be possible or advisable, though non-believing parents can still be encouraged to attend. Such parents would be sending their children to Christian schools because they have realised that state education is breaking down and failing to provide a decent education for their children. They value the quality of the education provided by Christian schools above their disbelief. This is where the non-believer's pragmatism can lead to a missionary advantage for the church, since their children, through attending Christian schools, will come under the influence of the Christian worldview, and this will bear fruit, to some extent, in spite of their parents' atheism. Where an independent private school offers loans or scholarships to non-believers, it should, of course, require church attendance by parents and children. If a loan or scholarship is provided by a church to an independent school, this would naturally apply also. 4. The primary role of the church in education. Finally, a few words about the role of the church in teaching God's word to the congregation are necessary. It is part of the church's responsibility and ministry to teach and encourage its members to begin the Christian reconstruction of our society in all areas of life. Whatever decisions are made about the role of the church in education 
and the validity of church schools and independent schools supported by the tithe, as opposed to private fee-paying schools, it is clear that education is the high ground in the Christian's battle with humanism today, and therefore it is vitally important that the church should recognise and fulfil its responsibility to preach the necessity of Christian education and instruct its members in their responsibilities before God to educate their children in a manner consistent with the covenant under which they have been redeemed. And the church must encourage and support those who have already begun the task, whether in private Christian schools or at home. Unfortunately, rather than support and encouragement, many who do pursue a Christian education for their children are ostracised within congregations, particularly in Reformed and Evangelical churches, and criticised by ministers and members alike. That such things should happen is an appalling indictment of the church's ministry. Ministers who behave like this should consider the warning of Scripture. Cursed be the one who does the work of the Lord negligently. Jeremiah 48.10 The church, and particularly the leadership in the church, should support and encourage Christian education. In particular, it should be made clear from the pulpit that state and atheist public education is not an option for Christian parents, and that to place one's children in such institutions is a denial of the faith and treason against God. The Church, therefore, should be actively promoting the Christian philosophy and practice of education as the only valid and obedient way for Christian parents to educate their children in the faith. This must be the ongoing teaching of the Church, whether in a missionary situation or not, since it is an abiding principle of the Christian faith that our children should be brought up and educated in the discipline and instruction of the Christian faith. It is of the greatest importance that the Church should remind Christians of their responsibilities and constantly encourage faithfulness in this area. The primary role of the Church in education, therefore, is through its ministry of teaching the Word, is through teaching the Word of God. Only as the Church begins to fulfil its God-given calling to teach its members their duty in this area shall we begin to see a significant change in the practice of the Christian community generally. Until then, the practice of Christian education will remain the activity of a committed few with a pioneering spirit, and the motivation to launch out onto the sea of a hostile world against the tide of an apostate church. For the few who do, however, the remnant of the faithful, there is the certainty of ultimate victory, in spite of the hardship of the present storm. Such a faith is that which overcomes the world against all odds. 1 John 5 4. Conclusion It must be our aim to work towards establishing the normal situation described above, while, at the same time, recognizing that the reality of the present situation may necessitate special measures to enable Christian parents to provide a godly education for their children, the establishing of church schools and independent tithe-funded Christian schools can help to move us towards a change in overall patterns for the provision of education among Christians and probably among non-Christians also, to some extent, in the near future, which are more consistent with biblical principles and criteria. Whether church and tithe-funded schools are adopted or not, 
our goal must be to establish an alternative Christian philosophy and practice of education and make it available as widely as possible. Before this can happen, however, the Church, and particularly its leadership, must change its attitude, and ministers must begin teaching the necessity of Christian education to their congregations. With commitment, motivation and faith in God, whose work it is in which we are engaged, we can be confident that we shall prevail. For the scripture tells us that a time will come when the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11, 9 The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.